Um, um, brothers and sisters, you are tuned into It Be How It Is, the podcast. This is a podcast with the goal of exploring any and all subjects pertaining to this reality. We're talking space, we're talking business, we're talking friendships, we're talking planet Earth, Mother Nature, everything. Nothing's off the table. This will be hosted by your friendly neighborhood friends, Brooklyn and Geo. We're a young couple out of Arizona, and we're in no way, shape, or form qualified to talk about any of this stuff. So feel free to make us feel bad in the comment section of our YouTube channel. Our goal is to start a discussion amongst ourselves so that we can learn to be more cohesive as a naked ape species on this wet rock spinning through space. As a token of our gratitude, we'd love to give you a bunch of gratitude points. You can spend the day being gracious for whatever you want. And if you run out, come back for more. We got too much of this stuff. Thanks again. Let's begin. Okay, so real quick, I'm doing the editing for episode four of A Be How It Is, the podcast, and this is going to be for the YouTube audience. I just wanted to pop in and say really fast, um, I'm not a medical professional. Don't take illegal drugs. This video is being filmed strictly for educational purposes and harm reduction purposes. Only do substances uh, such as LSD and other psychedelics under the, the guidance of a professional. Okay, great. And episode four. It'd be how it is the podcast. Episode four. It'd be how it is the podcast. Thank you all so freaking much for listening to this episode. For listening to any episodes. That is, this is a passion project of mine and Brooklyn's. It's been really fun so far, uh, filming, recording our first three episodes. This is going to be episode four. This will be a solo episode just because it does not need discussion. It's mostly me talking about uh, lysergic acid diethylamide. And yes, I know, just another guy on the internet talking about LSD. Well, it's new. Well, if you've already listened to one person talking about this, why not listen to another? Maybe I can offer a different perspective into the subject. And, you know, this subject, although us who have uh, ventured out into the world of psychedelics feel like the whole world n- knows about this or knows how it works, that's only because we live in this really small echo chamber where we kind of repeat back to each other the same exact ideas. Um, Which is, you know, true of pretty much every group out there. And, you know, this subject is taboo. It's still not well known. I mean, it's something that, you know, I even had a little bit of hesitation hesitation talking about. Because I just don't know if it's well received by the general public. How people that know me would take it and uh i mean i've been telling people little by little my personal life and 
you know, the fact that I'm not like a classical hippie with long hair and, you know, no job, wears sandals, talks about, I don't know, hippie stuff. <laughs> uh, um, you know, people wouldn't think that I'm super hippie-esque. Um, although some people that know me tell me that I put off hippie-esque vibes, whatever that means. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think coming from people who don't fit that stigma makes it so that people who are skeptical are a little bit more open-minded to the experience or to the substance and they're not so quick to judge. We live in a society where we judge each other, judge each other about everything. Everybody has an opinion about any and everything, and there's always opposition to any any stance. So why would it be any different for LSD, psychedelics, entheogens, hallucinogens, right? Altering your state of consciousness. Why would it be any different? Well, it wouldn't, and it and it's not. So in this video and audio. I'm going to be talking about how it works, uh, some of the history behind the, the drug, um, how to trip responsibly, a message to urge a certain uh, percentage of you not to do it or to strongly reconsider, and I'm going to be reading a trip report today by Albert Hoffman. He is the scientist who first synthesized LSD-25. And uh, that'll give you some insight into what the experience is like if you have never experienced a substance before. Now, in my mind, the more psychonauts out in the world, the better. But that's just because I have a clear bias for these substances. I saw a clear value from these substances, but I'm not going to lie to myself and tell myself that this is, you know, the cure to our world's problems. I don't think that anyone can just take a psychedelic and be changed for the better. Right? We saw this in we saw this in the sixties. Manson, the family, they used LSD. And look at some of the atrocities they were able to commit. It doesn't make you a good person inherently. It provides you with a different way of thinking about reality. For some people, it breaks them out of their groove of everyday life. It, it helps them see things from that third perspective. It helps them come to realizations that maybe they weren't able to come to in a sobered state of mind or in an altered state of consciousness from other substances. It's not like weed. It's not like alcohol. It's its own thing. It's totally different, LSD. And it's not the drug that makes people change. People change themselves through their decision-making. They decide to do things which create positive and or negative results in their life. It is not the substance. And if it takes a drug 
to make you a better human being, and so be it. But if you can create that for yourself without the use of psychedelics, that's cool too. You know, I'm not going to die on this psychedelic cross and make myself believe that everyone needs to try it. But I do see the value in this substance. And that's why I want to talk about it. I want you guys to make your own decisions. I'm not here to sell you on anything. If something truly creates value and is truly valuable in and of itself, people will want it. They will try it. They will find their way to use the substance. I know that me sitting here is not going to change anyone's mind. People are going to make the decisions that, are going, that they're going to make. So if you're a first-time uh, you, you know, user of the substance, if you're someone who just wants to learn and form yourself about the substance because you don't like to just take something that you don't know anything about and then just hope that it works out in your favor because you're not that kind of a risk taker, that's fine. That's that's great. That's how it should be. Before I did this stuff, I went balls deep into research. Mostly on, I, I like to find anecdotal evidence um, from my peers, so I do spend a lot of time on subreddits like r slash psychonaut and r slash psychedelics. But it's also really good to refer to some experts. Um, you know, you can always look at the MAPS website. You can always look at uh, Dr. Poland. There's, there's a lot of people out there that are actually qualified to tell you about this stuff. And that's where I recommend that you get your, you know, your information, not from some dude on the internet talking into a microphone. <laughs> Although I am very flattered that you're spending this time here with me today. I, I really do appreciate it. And uh, for those of you who, you know, maybe look at someone like me doing this, podcast and you know you think to yourself wow what a loser i ask you to suspend your judgment for the rest of this audio for the rest of this video approach this with an open mind and just hear me out listen to the first trip report and just hear what i have to say before you draw your conclusions. I know this is a very one-way one-sided discussion. It's not a discussion. I'm just I'm talking. And I know that I'm not making any room to change my thoughts on this, but I think through teaching I'll I'll be able to fortify my my beliefs and my thoughts and ideas a little bit better. And that's why I think it's a it's good that I do this video. So, cool. Let's talk about LSD. Um, how it works. Well, we don't know exactly how it works, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, that's just, you know, where we are. You know, we did a lot of, and when I say we, I don't mean like me. I mean like humans, uh, researchers, scientists in the 50s and 60s, uh, and now currently there's a lot more research going into the psychedelic um, realm. Uh, but from the research that has been done, uh, it is thought that it works by increasing glutamate. Um, in the cerebral cor cortex, well, glutamate release rather, and it's a it's a neurotransmitter in in the brain, and it does play a role in uh, learning and memory, 
It's uh, shown to activate DARPP-30T related pathways, which are like midbrain dopaminergic pathways. Um, so it does enhance dopamine receptors. It, uh, it works with some of the same uh, receptors that a bunch of like cannabinoids and other similar drugs also interact with. And I'm going to be posting all of this information um, with links in the description. So, you know, I'm not going to go super deep into this because you can on your own. You can make obviously do your own research and I'll provide tons of uh, resources for you to do that. And it also works with uh, D2 receptor and receptor 5-HT2A, which are receptors that uh, are shown to have a antipsychotic response with certain drugs. And it's very helpful with people who have like schizophrenia. And the fact that this is something that is shown uh, to activate in the brain while doing LSD is a cause for concern because you know, those who are predisposed to schizophrenia, LSD could be the thing that actually triggers that for them. So if you have a family member, if it's, if you have history of schizophrenia in your family, I would probably suggest that you stay away from this stuff because you don't know what it could do um, to you. It's something like 4% of um, people who abuse a substance actually end up getting HPPD, which is um, something I'll talk a little bit more about here <clears throat> later in this, in this video. So I don't want to scare you away from the, from the, from the drug. I know that you're still going to make your own choices and decisions at the end of the day, but I want you to understand, excuse me, that just like anything else, it does come with risks. Everything comes with the risk. And you just have to be able to weigh those costs for yourself and make decisions as to whether or not it is a good decision uh, to, you know, try this stuff out. Cool. All right. So when was it invented and, and by who? Well, Albert Hoffman. Albert Hoffman invented this stuff back in 1938. He was isolating compounds found in ergot. Ergot is a fungus that affects rye. Uh, he was trying to find compounds that stimulate uh, the respiratory and circulatory system. Um, this was one of those things that he synthesized. He put it in like a little flask. He, you know, he labeled it. He put it away for five years. Then he came back to it. Started to do some more research around it, and he accidentally dosed himself on April 16th of 1943. This isn't the day where he had that famous bicycle ride. I know a lot of you already know about Bike Day, um, the the first ever trip report, where you know Albert Hoffman drove, uh, rode a bike home and started tripping balls. I'll talk about that here pretty soon. This is uh, this is before that. He accidentally got some on his skin. The bike ride was completely planned. It wasn't accidental. So I just want to clear that up because uh, psychedelic culture kind of has that mixed up a little bit. There's a lot of people in the psychedelic world that think that the accidental, accidental spilling of LSD is what caused bike day. No, bike day was planned. This was pre-bike day. Okay, so Albert Hoffman reported uh, the day after April 16th, 1943, that he was affected by a remarkable restlessness combined with a slight dizziness. At home, he lay down, sank into an not-so-pleasant, intoxicated-like condition characterized by an extremely stimulated imagination. In a dreamlike state, with eyes closed, he found the daylight to be unpleasantly glaring. He perceived an uninterrupted stream of fantastic pictures, extraordinary shapes with intense kaleidoscopic plays of colors, and after some two hours, the condition actually faded away. 
So no one knows exactly how much he, actually, he dosed that day, but just based off of the uh, the trip report, quote unquote here, I would say it's more than 20 micrograms and less than 150. All right, cool. So the bike ride, the famous bike ride of 1943, that was April 19th. It's still coined as bike day and a lot of people um, in the psychedelic world actually trip on that day to commemorate this this experience. So what did he do? He measured out a dose of 250 micrograms. That's about 2.5 times the standard beginner's dose of 100 micrograms. Um, he had a trip sitter. He diluted it in water. He took it. They got on their bikes and they rode home. The trip sitter helped them bike home. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and read the trip report. All right. Albert Hoffman. April 21st. The first ever trip report. This is history. This is the actual experience of the first person to ever trip on acid. This is a revolution, revolutionary moment in human history. Just want you to grasp that as I read this trip report. Well, thank you to r slash psychonaut for providing this uh, trip report for me. I am very excited to read it for all of you and for myself. All right, so I will be taking the role of Albert Hoffman and I will be reading the report. It goes, here the notes in my laboratory journal cease. I was able to write the last words only with great effort. By now it was already clear to me that LSD had been the cause of this remarkable experience of the previous Friday. For the altered perceptions were of the same type as before, only much more intense. Um, he's uh, referring to the April 16th day when he accidentally dosed. I had to struggle to speak intelligibly. I asked my laboratory assistant who was informed of the self-experiment to escort me home. We went by bicycle. No automobile available because of wartime restrictions on their use. On my way home, my condition began to assume threatening forms. Everything in my field of vision wavered and was distorted as if seen in a curved mirror. I also had the sensation of being unable to move from the spot. Nevertheless, my assistant later told me that we had traveled very rapidly. Finally, we arrived at home safe and sound, and I was just barely capable of asking my companion to summon our family doctor and request milk from the neighbors. And then he uh, writes dot, 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 space, space, space. And here is where it starts to get saucy. The dizziness and sensation of fainting became so strong at times that I could no longer hold myself erect and had to lie down on a sofa. My surrounding had now transformed themselves in more terrifying ways. Everything in the room spun around and the familiar objects of and pieces of furniture assumed grotesque, threatening forms. They were in continuous motion, animated, as if driven by an inner restlessness. The lady next door, whom I scarcely recognized, brought me milk. In the course of the evening, I drank more than two liters. She was no longer Mrs. R, but rather a malevolent, insidious witch with a colored mask. 
Even worse than these demonic transformations of the outer world were the alterations that I had perceived myself in my inner being. Every exertion of my will, every attempt to put an end to this disintegration of the outer world and the disillusion of my ego seemed to be a wasted effort. A demon had invaded me, had taken possession of my body, my mind, and my soul. I jumped up and I screamed, trying to free myself from him, but then sank down again and lay helpless on the sofa. The substance with which I wanted to experiment had vanquished me. It was the demon that scornfully triumphed over my will. I was seized by the dreadful fear of going insane. I was taken to another world, another peace, another time, another place. My body seemed to be without sensation, lifeless, strange. I was... was I dying? Was this a transition? At times I believed myself to be outside my body and then perceived clearly, as an outside observer, the complete tragedy of my situation. I had not even leave my family. My family with... Our three children had traveled the, the, that day to actually visit her parents in Lucerne. Would they ever understand that I had not experimented thoughtlessly, irresponsibly, but rather with the utmost caution and that such as a result was in no way foreseeable? My fear and despair intensified, not only because a young family should lose their father, but also because I dreaded leaving my chemical research, which meant so much to me, unfinished in the midst of fruitful, promising development, another reflection took shape, an idea full of bitter irony. If I was now forced to leave this world prematurely, it was because of the lysergic acid diethylamide that I myself had brought forth into the world. By the time the doctor arrived, the climax of my uh, despondent condition had already passed. My laboratory assistant informed him about my self-experiment. As I myself was not able to formulate a coherent sentence, he shook his head in perplexity. After my attempts to describe the mortal danger that threatened my body, he could detect no abnormal symptoms other than extremely dilated pupils. Pulse, blood pressure, breathing, they were all normal. He saw no reason to prescribe any medication. Instead, he conveyed me to my bed and stood watch over me. Slowly, I came back from a weird, unfamiliar world to reassuring everyday reality. The horror softened and gave way to a feeling of good fortune and gratitude. The more normal perceptions and thoughts returned and I became more confident that the danger of insanity was conclusively past. Now, little by little, I could begin to enjoy the unprecedented colors and plays of shapes that persisted behind my closed eyes. Kaleidoscopic, fantastic images surged in on me, alternating, variegated, I don't even know if that's a real word, uh, opening and then closing themselves in circles and spirals, exploding in colorful fountains, uh, rearranging and hybridizing themselves in constant flux. It was particularly remarkable how every acoustic perception, such as the sound of a door handle or a passing of an automobile became transformed into optical perceptions. Every sound generated a vividly changing image with its own consistent form and color. Late in the evening, my wife returned from Lucerne. Someone had informed her by telephone that I was suffering a mysterious breakdown. She had returned home at once, leaving the children behind with their parents. By now, I had recovered myself sufficiently that I was able to tell her what had happened. Exhausted, then I slept to wake the next morning feeling refreshed, refreshed, with a clear head. Uh, though still somewhat tired physically, a sensation of well-being and renewed life flowed through me. Breakfast tasted delicious and gave me extraordinary pleasure. 
Uh, when I later walked into the garden in which the sun shone, now after a spring rain, everything glistened and spar sparkled in fresh light. The world was as if newly created. All my senses vibrated in a condition of highest sensitivity, which persisted for the entire day. Aber Hoffman, 1943. Cool. So, if you take anything away from this report, it is that you need to respect LSD and other psychedelics um, entheogens, hallucinogens. For those of you who don't know those words, uh, entheogens are drugs such as LSD or rather substances that alter your state of consciousness and have you um, kind of have these sort of uh, religious or spiritual experiences. You know, Albert just reported of seeing demons uh, being possessed, right? And Psychedelic is a, a word coined by a psychiatrist uh, back in the 50s, I believe, during the psychedelic boom, which is a loose translation of the term mind manifesting, uh, a Greek, uh, a Greek uh, term. So we need to have respect for these substances. Now, here's a, here's a good thing about psychedelics there. As far as we know, non-addictive, physiologically, maybe psychologically. There's some people that love being in those altered states of consciousness, um, to which, you know, to each their own. If that's what you want to do, that's what you do. But it's not physically addicting. It's very easy to build a tolerance. If you take 100 micrograms today, you trip, you take 100 micrograms tomorrow, you're not going to trip. Right, you, you'll still feel the effects, but you're not going to have a full-blown trip like you did the day before because your body built that um, that much of a tolerance. Now, it works through serotonergic uh, pathways. So we have to be very careful with it because we don't want to cause uh, serotonin syndrome or cause any sort of other uh, psychotic break because that is a potentiality. We can't just ignore that. That That is a potential, right? So you have to, like I said, basically weigh out the risks. All right, so uh, the studies weren't conducted until about the 60s and 70s. Um, people wanted to figure out, you know, how these psychedelics applied to um, schizophrenia, schizophrenia, uh, perception, uh, you know, just overall altered states of, of consciousness. Um, a lot of the early work was actually done by Roland Fisher. Um, Roland Fisher is actually someone who Terence McKenna refers to a lot for his later books um, like Food of the Gods and um, to support the, the model for his stoned ape theory. We also had reports of studies by the CIA uh, in 1953 to, through 1973. So they have 20 years of research. Um, these experiments uh, were part of the mind control program. A lot of you know it as the MK Ultra program. And these were illegal experiments conducted on U.S. grounds, and they were trying to see if they could control humans, see if they can get them to do things for them and then wipe them clear of their memory. I don't know. No one knows. I, I don't think uh, how successful they were in these experiments, but... They still took, you know, they still took place. Um, we had many prominent psychology researchers, both in the uh, both in the U.S. and out in uh, in Europe. Uh, people like Rick Doblin at Berkeley. We had Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert, both uh, at Harvard in the 50s, um, which 
Interestingly enough, Richard Alpert is also the man who a lot of you know as Ram Das. Ram Das is a Hindu uh, translation for the term servant of God. And Ram Das, um, while in Harvard, was experimenting with LSD. Uh, Leary and Ram Das were turning uh, from researchers into more of like guru-esque type figures. And because of this, Harvard had actually kicked them out of the college. They were ostracized. <laughs> and uh, Leary started to popularize or help popularize LSD. Uh, Ram Das went the spiritual route, the enlightenment route. He actually went out to India and he started to learn from Hindu teachers. He then came back to the States and became a spiritual teacher. Unfortunately, he had recently passed away in December of 22 of 2019. Um, so we'll do a quick little moment of silence for Ram Das here. Thank you, Ram Das, for what you have done for the psychedelic community. And on the topic of the popularization of the drug, uh, a lot of it actually has to be, we have to thank the CIA uh, for a lot of the, a lot of the boom, the 50s and 60s psychedelic boom that happened because they were reportedly uh, the group who purchased in large amounts and quantities LSD from uh, labs in Europe and brought it over to the Americas and then we have pe people like Leary who coined terms like tuna, uh, turn on, tune in, drop out um, and it's just this whole cultural switch um, Rick Doblin actually criticized Leary for being under the halo effect of the substance and for pushing it into mainstream culture sort of aggressively and guruistically um, you know, I, I, he felt that he didn't respect it uh, the way it needed to be respected. And, you know, maybe he got a little bit ahead of himself. And uh, Michael Pollan, who is actually furthering the research of the substance in, in, in today's time, is uh, shares similar views about the substance and, and about Lear, rather, with the substance and how he popularized it. So... Uh, let's see here. Leary. Leary wrote a book called How to Change Your Mind, What the New Science of Psychedelics Teaches Us About Consciousness, Dying, Addiction, Depression, and Transcendence in the 50s. There was a lot of information actually flooding the market about LSD. Um, we had a lot of prominent figures at the time who were, uh, re you know, reported for using the drug. We, we had a, an interesting paradigm switch in, in culture where we had people coming off of the Great Depression you know uh, people that came off of World War II they saw some of the worst economic times in, in the history of the earth and they went into the economic boom of the 50s and they started to they started to fall in love with the material world you know a lot of what was preached in the 50s was work hard, save money, buy a house, buy a car, you know, be popular, fit in. This was the collective cultural experience of the 50s and <clears throat> the 60s sort of served as a counterculture to that. Whereas 50s culture said, control your emotions. The 60s youth said, 
Let it all hang out. Whereas the 50 said, fit in. The 60s youth said, do your own thing. Whereas the 50 said, don't think about sex. The 60 said, do what feels good. Right? These, these psychedelic experiences and the culture served as a counterculture to that. Right? They, the, the kids of the 60s didn't have that pain from the 40s to relate to their parents. You know, they just grew up watching their parents in this tireless pursuit of the material. And it's no wonder that, you know, they, they started this counterculture. So as far as prominent figures from the time, we had Henry Robinson Luce, uh, chief editor of Life magazine at the time. Cary Grant who was a Hollywood star. R. Gordon Wasson, who was a banker, vice president of J.P. Morgan. Peter Math. Mathesian, American travel writer, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison of the Beatles, Ken Kesey, American publisher, Richard Thyman, theoretical physicist of the time, John C. Lilly. He's actually famously known for those uh, dolphin communication experiments with LSD. And it didn't go very well <laughs> for him. Uh, Jack Nicholson, who's an actor. Carrie Mullis, who's a no Nobel Prize uh, winner, a biochemist of the time. Doc Ellis, who's a baseball player. George Carlin, who's a comedian. Carlos Santana. Alan Watts, Michael Foucault, who's a French philosopher, and John Paul Sartre, who's also a philosopher of the time. Um, these were all people who were reported uh, as psychedelic users in the 60s and who helped uh, popularize the movement. Now, it was in 1965 that there was a lot of anti-LSD uh, information being brought out into the market. We had a movie called... Uh, Let's see, do, 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 do. The Trip, um, I believe in 1965, which acronymed LSD as a lovely sort of death. Um, in 1965, Sandoz Laboratories was asked by the U.S. to halt its supply of LSD into our country. Sandoz Laboratories was the main, um, the main laboratory for synthesizing and selling the substance at the time. And films like uh, Hallucination Generation, which depicted dangers of LSD cults, um, probably in association with like the Manson Trials and MK Ultra. Basically, the can counter LSD culture was, and you know, it was incepted at this time in 1965, And no wonder, you know, the older generation saw these kids as spoiled rebellious pansies they didn't approve of the culture and they were anti-war you know they they were unpatriotic right they and they just they didn't understand they saw them as low lives and laws were passed to ban the substances it was moved into schedule one meaning there is no medical application for the substances so all of you know the psychedelic research had been halted and Hoffman was pissed about this. He knew it had value. He knew that, you know, applied to medicinal settings, it could create good. And you know, this is why people like Michael Pollan nowadays feel like we were too eager. We we pulled the gun too fast and we scared our parents. And thanks, boomers. <laughs> And, uh, you know, we still see the those reverberations in today's society, right? Especially with older generations that heard terms like acid melts your brain or it's going to leave you perma-fried and they still believe this. 
Acid does not actually melt your brain, just so you know. It, it cannot physically melt your brain. It's not actually acid, like battery acid. Okay. Uh, there's, there's groups out there still. Drug-Free World, who demonize LSD along with all other you know, substances, deeming it as anxiety-triggering uh, mind-control substance. And, of course, with every culture, there's always a counterculture. So, we are now in what's called the third wave of the psychedelic movement. Uh, we have seen a sudden reemergence of it in pop culture. Um, they, there was a small emergence of it back in the 80s in Chicago when, you know, the rave scene started, you know, popping up and people started listening to house music a lot more. And, of course, MDMA ended up being the dominant substance because LSD isn't really like a party drug by its nature just because, of course, who wants to have a spiritual experience in a club? Not a lot of people. <laughs> and then it died off again in the early 2000s. Now, with this new age of information, and with the boom and popularization of EDM music, you know, we do have a new influx of uh, psychedelics into the culture. You know, we have psychedelic subgenres actually taking off, like acid rap, acid jazz, trippy bass. Uh, pretty much all EDM kind of has to do with these uh, psyched states of mind uh, with these substances and these altered states of mind rather and I was too lazy to do the research on this so I didn't find a whole lot of other uh, you know acid influenced subgenres but there's there's plenty uh, we even have individual artists like Tame Paula, Chance the Rapper, ASAP Rocky, G Jones, Bass Nectar, Peekaboo um, so many that are out there and they're producing music for Psychonauts or maybe even just songs, um, along with series like Mind Explained on Netflix, uh, the Joe Rogan's podcast, Duncan Controls' podcast, Hamilton Morris and his shows on Hulu and Vice, Aubrey Marcus, the creator of On It, right? all people who have been bringing psychedelics back into the culture or awareness of psychedelics. Um, we even have Notch, the creator of Minecraft, who responded to a tweet and said, at Notch, what's the most absurd thing you've ever done to cheer yourself up? To which he replied, replied with, 2,800 micrograms. 2,800 micrograms. That is 10 times, and then some, the amount that Albert Hoffman took on his first trip. Just wrap your head around that. He also responded to a tweet thread where, uh, thread where a programmer said, imagine programming on LSD, to which he responded, I have. It was strange. Uh, which, by the way, uh, if you guys have never seen the ending, a credit scene of Minecraft, read it. It's very uh, trippy. Um, now we have YouTube, of course, and we have channels like Psych Substances. Psych Substance. Um, we've even seen the world of business and tech and entrepreneurship uh, take on LSD. Right? People are starting to microdose. And we have people like Tim Ferriss. Um, you know, he wrote the book Tools of Titans, which is basically a compilation of his podcast interviews. And in one of his interviews with Sam Harris, very famous uh, uh, atheist, <laughs> uh, he uh, actually reported this. So this is Sam Harris. He said, if my daughter does not try a psychedelic like psilocybin or LSD at least once in her adult life, I will worry that she may have missed one of the most important rites of passage a human being can experience, 
A life without drugs is neither foreseeable nor, I think, desirable. If I give you 5 grams of mushrooms or 300 micrograms of LSD and tell you to sit on that couch for an hour, you are guaranteed to have a radical transformation of your experience. It doesn't matter who you are. A freight train of significance is going to come bearing down on you, and we just have to watch the clock to know when it's going to happen. That's Sam Harris. Now, here's the cool thing. Like I said, LSD does not change you. You change yourself. Sam Harris is an atheist. People who use LSD have spiritual experiences. You know, a lot of people go into this LSD experience, atheists come out, and then they're agnostic or theist. They didn't change him in one bit. He's still who he is. He still does what he does. He doesn't devote his life to psychedelics. Alright, uh, that's not all. We have Steve Jobs. He was uh, quoted uh, for saying two of the three most important experiences of his life was acid. Or sorry, one out of the two or three most important experiences of his life was acid. Um, Andrew Wheel, who's a professor and author of Spontaneous Happiness. He's actually from my home state. He teaches out in, at U of A. Um, we have Paul Simmons, who's a mycologist. Dennis McKenna, who's a researcher. Obviously, his brother, Terrence McKenna. Eckhart Tolle, actually, who's an author and professional chill guy. <laughs> um, we have Bill Gates, Carl Sagan, uh, Francis Crick, and Watson and Crick. Of Watson and Crick, um, he actually used acid. And uh, for those of you who don't know who Francis Crick is, he's one of the people. Um, he's part of the group Watson and Crick the duo that discovered the double helix and uh, of DNA and uh, wrote out and found the, the genetic code. Um, yeah, pretty crazy stuff. Eric Andre, Miley Cyrus, Billy Corgan of Smashing Pumpkins, James Franco, Seth Rogen, Ben Stiller, Ozzy Osbourne, Adrian Piper, Yoko Ono, and the list goes on. Tons of people who are coming out and sharing their experience with the world about psychedelics. And we even have Mr. Wonderful of Shark Tank, uh, who has been cited in a video on YouTube telling the public that psychedelics will be the next big wave in investment. So, yes, we are encountering the third wave of the psychedelic movement. And I think that we need to learn from our history. And we need to make sure that the people who are representing the movement are not your stereotypical hippies, right? The people who take acid and then they believe that you need to destroy your ego. You need to become spiritually enlightened and you need to abandon, you know, uh, your the material world completely, right? That you can't, you live in the material world. You can't just live in your mind, right? That's what I say about that. And we can't let those people define the movement. We have to proceed with caution. We have to understand that there are risks. We can't just blindly tell everybody to drop a ton of acid, you know, especially not knowing what sorts of uh, pre-existing conditions that these people are predisposed to having, like schizophrenia. You know, we don't want to c cause, you know, HPPD in people, which is uh, hallucinogenic persisting perception disorder. And for those of you who don't believe that it's a thing, just go to the HPPD uh, subreddit. There's thousands of people who have the disorder and 
who hate it. They just, they wish they would have, you know, some people wish they would have never even tried acid because of it. Right? So we needed to turn to people like MAPS, right, who are furthering the research and who are, you know, paving the way. Right? And because psychedelics are becoming profitable, we are going to be seeing a lot more lobbying for it. And, you know, it's, it's going to do its own thing. But we just have to make sure that people aren't going stupid with this stuff. They're not causing self-harm because it can trigger psychosis in a lot of people. You know, we can't let people start cults again, <laughs> right? Just because you see God in a trip does not mean that you are God and that you are qualified to speak on his behalf. You know, and sure, have your spiritual experiences and believe what you believe, but just don't start cults and religions around it. We've seen time and time again in history that it never turns out well. Uh, cool. So, what are some of the, the, the cons of acid? Let's break into that, because I, I want you guys to understand the dangers. And don't worry, I'm going to wrap this up with the positives, and there's a long list. So, don't think that I'm super negative about this stuff, because, I mean, I'm making a whole ass video about this. I care about it a lot, because I think it is... I think it's awesome. I think that psychedelics are great. As long as they're handled with caution. You gotta take it easy. But you gotta take it, right? As Terrence McKenna famously said. Alright, cool. So let's go ahead and break into the pros and cons. And then I'll tell you guys how to trip safely. Alright, so let's start with the cons. Number one, challenging trips. You, you might have some challenging trips. Especially if you have a lot of pent-up shit that you haven't dealt with personally whether it's past experiences um you know traumas that you just never dealt with or maybe you're just very lazy and you're you're full of shit and you you know struggle self-belief and all this stuff it's going to put at the forefront of your mind sometimes and it won't let you escape it it's going to force you to deal with those emotions and with those repressed thoughts and it can be challenging and if you resist it's going to be a bad time but if you learn to let go it can be a good time to be okay with working through those things is what i mean by let go um, you can go into a temporary psychosis or long-term psychosis schizophrenia uh, psychotic disorder, paraphrenia, HPPD, um, a lot of these psychological disorders, by the way, appear in, in, in the mid to early 20s, which is about the age range which people start to kind of experiment with this stuff, so like I said, proceed with caution. Um, make sure that you look back into your family history and, and ask family members if any of them have had any of these sorts of um, uh, psychological elements a loss of good judgment high doses I had a friend who actually did eight tabs of acid broke into a house got taste he believed he was God too by the way he didn't start a church or cult <laughs> but he still got tased <laughs> and shit himself <laughs> that actually happened to him um, temporary loss of motivation the following day because of the large dopamine serotonin surge. Um, it lasts eight hours, 
which is pretty standard. Um, I think the more you take, the longer it lasts. But there are trip killers, benzodiazepines, antipsychotics, and whatnot. Um, loss of ego, which for some people it's great. For a lot of us, you know, the ego is very useful, and we needed to orient ourselves to aspire to things. But sometimes, you know, some of us are a little bit overly egotistical. We're too narcissistic, and it might be a good, uh, good thing. Um, that's pretty much it. So it's not evil like 60s and 70s propaganda would have you believe. It actually doesn't melt the brain, uh, but it's all—it's not as amazing as as amazing as 60s and 70s gurus will try and con- gurus will try and convince you of either. It just—it just is. Acid just is. You assign value to the drug and to the experience. You get what you want out of it, and you can use it as a tool. And that's what I was going to you know offer to a lot of people as advice is. Make sure that you know your intentions going into the trip. What is your intention going into this trip? What do you want to get out of this trip, out of this experience? You know, I would refrain from taking it at a club. I would refrain from having you take it and then just watch Family Guy. Like, use it. It's it's, it's a great teacher. It's a great tool to of self-discovery. It's not going to solve your life's problems. The drug will not do anything to actually change your life. You do that on your own. But sometimes it takes the drug to show you that you are affected by your reality and you are the, or rather that you are at the effect of your reality to show you that you can make the decisions to be great. And that is, that it is in your own control, that you have the resources to create good in your life. Sometimes it changes and it breaks patterns of monotony in your life where you get stuck in this groove and then you stop and you process and you question what you've been doing and you approach life with a reawakened sort of childlike wonder. And from that childlike wonder, sometimes comes childlike susceptibility. So just make sure you're around good people who have your best interests in mind when you are tripping. Positives. Well, we already know it's non-addictive. Um, it'll improve empathy. It'll sometimes cause emotional healing. It can create stronger bonds between you, your friends, and family if you trip together. You'll get some awesome auditory and visual feedback. Absolutely. You know, um, at big music festivals, it's it's good, I would say, because you can go to, you know, you don't have to be at the stage the whole time. You can sit at, like, the chill areas and just explore your mind, close your eyes, listen to the music, and, and just be free and wander. Or, you know, talk to other friends there and other people that are tripping. Um, afterglow the second day for a lot of people is awesome you know you feel euphoric the whole day you have a lot of gratitude it's a fun day Um, you can have a mystical religious experience Um, you can feel oneness with the universe connection to all humans dead alive past present and future it can be a great experience for sure all right so tripping tips number one Intent. Intent is so important. What are your intentions going into the trip? You can write down questions that you wanted to ask yourself, things that you didn't, maybe you weren't creative enough to deal with while you're sober, or maybe you just shy away from it because you don't want to know the answers, but it's something you want to deal with, such as feelings of unworthiness. Um... Number three, respect the substance. Don't take too much your first time. Um, I might even say start off with a half tab instead of a full tab. 
Um, be in a good mental state. That would be number four. You don't want to go into this trip, you know, while you're in bouts of rage and depression, if you can help it. You know, I would say try and fix your inner bullshit before you go into the experience, because going into the experience with a clear conscience and with your shit sorted out actually makes it even better. So, this is LSD. There's just not a whole lot to it. You know, it is what it is. It's, you know, we've, we've been exposed to it in pretty much recent history, but it's not like psychedelics haven't been in, our, in, in the world for a long time. Psychedelics have been in the world for thousands and thousands of years. Multiple cultures have used psychedelics to explore their minds in the world. And, you know, I hope that people... Stop demonizing the substance. You know, I hope people start seeing the value of the substance. And I hope that people don't, aren't so quick to, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I hope that people aren't so quick to judge those who indulge in psychedelics or use psychedelics because you you don't know what you don't know. And that's something you actually learn from psychedelics is that really you know nothing. You think you know everything. Especially in your adolescence, you you a lot of us tend to be in this mindset of you know I'm, I'm the king of the world. Right, this world revolves around me. I am right and everybody else is wrong. I am on the right side of history. And sometimes it can be a slap in the face and it'll teach you that. You're not shit. You don't know anything. And for a lot of people, that sounds like it's scary, but it's actually a liberating experience. To know that you don't know anything. That you don't know without, without a doubt that... At the end of your life is nothingness. It'll challenge your concepts of of God. Whereas a lot of people see him as this man in the sky with a beard. You know, maybe you think to yourself that God transcends that form. And that's just how we like to imagine him because we want to humanize God, whatever God is. That there's more to this life than just the material. But that the material is fun to have around. That at the end of the day, the things that matter the most to us are relationships, our family and our friends. That our time on this world is limited. And that we do have to live every day with vigor and passion and with that childlike wonder. You know, it's crazy that we're not amazed at reality every day. Just the complexity of it. The fact that it exists, that anything exists at all rather than nothing. It's, it's crazy that things are. 
you gain this new appreciation for the world and for the universe, for yourself, for your family, for your friends. That there is something rather than nothing. That's really true. You know, I want to talk about my personal experiences, but I don't want to make this video too long. Because I've had a lot of experiences with this stuff. A lot of good. Mostly good. Some challenge. But mostly good. And I'm excited to watch this uh, cultural change where LSD comes into the mainstream and people are more willing to try it because I do think that it can help a lot of people break these patterns of thought to gain clarity, to gain gratitude, to change their value systems, maybe just a little bit. It can be a really cool drug, really cool substance. With that being said, if y'all have any questions about the substance, uh, you can email me at, uh, let's see here, IBHIS podcast business mail at gmail.com. And I'll respond to any questions that you have. Please trip responsibly. Uh, make sure you test your shit. Don't take anything that isn't the real stuff. Love your family. Love your neighbors. Love yourself. Love your pets. Hope you guys have an amazing Q-team. Thank you so much again for tuning into this episode. I know it was a long one. I had a lot of fun going over my notes. I hope you all enjoyed it as well. And on the next one about the substance, I'll make sure to give you guys actual anecdotal experiences. With that being said, deuce. Deuces. Thank you guys for spending some time with us today. You can help us out a ton if you drop a like on the video for the YouTube algorithm. Subscribe to us for upcoming content, turn on notifications, and drop a comment in the comment section below. And thank you to the artists who hooked it up with the Sweet Jams. Their links are in the description box. And you can follow us on Instagram at itbehowitis and Twitter at itbehowitispodcast. Thanks again. Y'all are awesome. Peace out. Bye.